Welcome to the Possibility Lounge, monthly conversations with some of my favorite healers, dreamers, thinkers, and innovators about how they're dreaming up and living their most liberated lives. I'm your host, Jen Roberts. This month, we're joined by my beautiful sister, Ariane Edmonds of the JL Edmonds Project. Ari and I met over a year ago as cohort mates in the USC Civic Media Fellowship. It felt pretty obvious from the start we were supposed to know each other. And in that time, we've built a sisterhood that allows for a soft and sturdy stillness, one where we find immense joy and deep reflection. Ari has that way about her, and I think you'll feel it as you listen. If I had to think of a theme for this episode, I'd say it is nothing is lost. Ariane digs into her journey to archiving and sharing her great-great-grandfather's work, how a year in Ghana changed the way she creates, and how she's looking at her contribution to her family's legacy differently than before. Grab a drink and a journal, find a comfy spot, and listen in. This is the Possibility Lounge. Hi! <laughs> it's been such a long time since I see your face in real life. I mean, I know it's we've true. talked, but I haven't seen your face. It's true. It's good to see you. I know it is. It's good to see you. Um. We're going to talk today about um, you, you know, and I think what I like about or what I want this podcast to be is a place for, yes, us to learn about your work, but for us to learn about you. And so thus in turn, we learn about your work because your work is you, because you found alignment between like who you really truly are and the work you do which I also think is the point of this podcast for people to hear the ways that people have done that so they can find ways to do it for themselves. So I'm excited. I know a lot about you, but um, I learn something new every time. And I just feel like everybody should know you. So, <laughs> so I'm excited to get into this conversation. So I'm going to start us off with the question that I always ask my guests um, to start us off. And that is, um, what is your origin story? How did you become the Ariane we know now, today? Um, I love this question because I feel like I can go in so many directions. Um, I, you know, I guess the best way to start this is that for so long, I thought I had to kind of choose between specific um, mediums with my work because I'm a very creative person I felt like I had to choose a specific path um, and over the last couple of years I've been really blessed to have been able to kind of combine all the things I'm really passionate about and still be myself still be goofy still be like creative still mm-hmm. be engaging spiritual and still include all that in my work I've always set the intention that that's what I wanted that I didn't want to feel like I had to choose and so I feel honored that that's the path that I get to be on now um, but I was first born in LA um, my family, I'm a fifth generation Angelino. We've been here since the late 1800s. A lot of my work centers around our family's kind of first work here in LA as some of the kind of early cultural architects. 
helping to establish inroads for us and to help kind of define what Black citizenship should look like, not only in the West, but really in our country. Yeah. So my way of being able to continue that legacy is like remixing it by including art and exhibitions and looking at archiving and figuring out how we encourage the next generation to consider their placement in this country, but also a part of the, uh, the diaspora. Um, that this is kind of one chapter of our lives gets to exist here in America, but we also are a part of a much larger uh, just kind of universe of, of Black folks that care about their families, care about the things, you know, that they want to hand down. And so I've been tapping into that a lot more recently. Yeah, I like that. I like hearing you talk about the way that your work has found a synergy around, um, yes, like continuing the legacy that you, that your family has, um, that your grandfather, great, 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 great grandfather, two greats, great, great grandfather started in LA. Um, but picking it up in your own way, like you said, remixing it, um, and the value of, having the space to be able to do that. Um, and I think we have that in common, this like, you know, request we've made of the universe and our ancestors to be able to do the things that we really, really want to do. Um, and then the space being made for us to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and trusting that the remixing that we're doing is still honoring, you know, the the original intent. Yeah. I think, you know, I have my background, I have a background in, in uh nonprofits and philanthropy and marketing. Uh, so for so long, I used to like be really hard on myself that I should be able to create and, and to be doing this kind of archiving work full time. And do I need to go back to school? And like putting a lot of pressure on myself to kind of fit, to, to, to leap from that work to the work I get to do now. And the moment that I just kind of surrendered to it and, and recognize that some of the work that I was doing in that field would prepare me for, for what I get to do now, that there are some, not only like what, you know, transferable skills, but also like there's something about knowing how to organize, knowing how to connect with folks, how to, how to communicate um, uh, when, I'm, when I'm working on a campaign or like a, a community campaign, knowing how to articulate things like really concisely helps me to tell some of the stories I'm talking about. So that I'm not in these classrooms with young people being like, well, let me tell you about the history. And they're like, <laughs> we're done. You know, so I, I, it took me some time to realize that like working on campaigns with like big brands or, you know, government campaigns helped me to be able to like get in there quick, talk to people, get them excited about things that are most important. Um, so none of it is lost really when we're on our journey. You know, that's a, um, I want to hold on that point for a second, because I think when you start talking to people about um, living freer, right? Like making choices that allow them to live free now, along with leave a path or blueprint for their descendants to do the same, right? Like there's this, this idea that it's all or nothing, right? Like either I'm going all the way heads in doing everything that I, you know, or I got to keep this, you know, link to the man and this job or whatever. Right. And I love hearing like the women 
and particularly the women. And it's, I think this just has something to do with black women always learning how to make a way out of no way. But I feel like the black women, women in my life who have found the freedom to live like they want, none of them are doing it in the way they thought one mm-hmm. and two, you all are doing it in ways where you found small ways to do it in the meantime, while you worked your way to being able to do it all the time. But like what you said about is nothing is lost. Like where you are right now, like you is preparing you for a freer life you're working toward. You know, um, yeah, I feel like people, it's a good reminder. It's a good reminder. Yeah, like um, I'm writing a book right now about our family paper and um, uh, some of, you know, uh, Jefferson, my great grandfather, his some of the intentions that he had for the city of LA for Black Angelinos. And uh, the more I've been like uncovering his life before he launched his newspaper, all of it tied in, you know, he, he was working. Uh, so just after the passing of the Emancipation uh, Proclamation, he was still, you know, during the reconstruction era was still in the South, still uh, canvassing, trying to get black men uh, to the polls. Uh, and he brought a lot of that work to um, his life in California by printing sample ballots on the newspaper, encouraging people to have town halls and discuss. And so, you know, I'm sure there are moments where he's like, you know, he's facing violence, he's facing all kinds of like threats on his life to be able to just exercise his actual, you know, newfound uh, um, rights as an American. And you know, still being told that like he's less than, that he's not going to have this and that if he continues to push, we're going to get you, you know? And so yeah. I, I, I think about how when he came to California, he still started, um, he still uh, opened a farm. Uh, his kids like, you know, had grocery stores and, you know, they just, they, they weren't just like, I have to do this newspaper and that's it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, I'm putting all my stuff in that, you know, he still yeah. was like, this gets to be my passion. Hopefully we'll make some money from it, but I also need to take care of my family. I also need to think about like uh, more of a, uh, what do they call it now? Portfolio career. Yeah. Yeah. You know, your money, your money comes where it's supposed to, as long as you are uh, honoring the things that you've been called to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good segue to the next question. Um, and I'm curious about how over the last year or so, um, your understanding of your purpose, like how that might have shifted um, in terms of how it aligns to the work you do. Um, and I know you've been living in Ghana, you're back in the States now, but you've been there and um you know, I remember when we were in our fellowship and you're like, yeah, I'm going to Ghana. And everyone's like, okay, girl. And then you're like, yeah, I'm staying in Ghana. Okay, girl. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> Which I feel like is the new thing. I feel like every time I hear somebody say I'm going to Ghana for a little bit, they all change in their tickets and like, I'm not coming back. And so like that experience I know was life changing for you. Um, you know, so like what has changed about the way you're, you look at your, your work and your, what you believe your purpose is. Something actually really interesting came up in my work when I when I went to West Africa in general, even before I made it to Ghana, I went to a few Francophone countries first. So it was pretty jarring to not be able to speak the language, you know, 
there's like a especially when I was in Senegal there was like a mix of French there's Wolof and so it's like you, you <laughs> I, yeah. I could barely pull the French together but when you're in the cabs most folks speak Wolof so you're like I was just like it was just like a total uh uh oof. it was a lot it was like a cultural whiplash <laughs> um, I have folks that I was traveling with which helped me um and I felt a lot of support but I, I do believe that there was this something happens to you when you get to the continent where, where you're not asked to present so much, asked to prove mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was working on some really big projects here and I'm on a few boards. And so, you know, I think the work that I do here, it, it gets to be in the forefront. It gets to be something I walk around with. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, Nobody gave a shit, okay? <laughs> We're like, how you doing? How's everybody? How's your family? Good afternoon, you know? Yeah. And um, there seems to be, in my experience, it felt like folks were more interested in if we could have, like, a nice dialogue and could really enjoy each other and uh, experience each other, like, on a, just, like, on a more spiritual, like, you know, people mm-hmm. level. Uh, and so a few months of that forced me to really think about how so much of my work and like so much of the way that I was writing and talking about uh, our family history and about archiving uh, and curation was really about this struggle, this fight, this like proving um, that we were worthy, proving our existence, trying to reclaim our stories. Like I use this this uh, piece in the book where I'm talking about like I was like going under the ocean trying to pull out the papers that were left, drying them on this on the coast, see if what was left there, you know, what words didn't bleed, and through. And so I just uh, uh, I just didn't feel that there there wasn't this grief you know like wrapped around the work yeah and if I'm honest I didn't know what to do with that I didn't know how to create without that Mm -hmm. and it was uh it was equal parts like really freeing to see that I get to kind of breathe and I get to create from a place that doesn't take so much out of me but there was another the other part was wow it makes me so sad that I don't know how to uh tell stories to to, to do this work without this like level of of loss um so i think it wasn't until i uh oh so i also i was out there for almost a year i met someone we got married we married we having a kid all kind of like it just happened all very fast what was great is that like I met my husband through a good friend that I work with here in LA so like I kind of knew some of his family here so it just was like this like perfect like nice uh you know just serendipitous for sure yeah I would say so and their family um their family founded uh an area just outside of Accra called Kokobite it's like a like resort city so Mm -hmm. the royal family there so they have really deep roots in Ghana and really close to the capital of Accra and so my husband played a really important role in terms of like securing um uh you know 
finding and preparing leadership that we're going to take over parts of this of the city so we kind of shared this like our work really mirrored each other in terms of yeah um, how we care about our communities how our families have over generations have helped to prepare uh you know it's community members to take a hold of you know in our case in america it was about our rights and knowing who we are but I would say in Ghana for their family it was more about how to preserve their their culture and their history and so yeah it does feel very divine in terms of how he was doing similar work on the continent that I was doing here but there wasn't as much um grief I don't know any other word to say it that that hit me when you said that um and I wonder how many other creatives that do work here um, feel that way, you know, that their stories are always, even the happy ones still have this tinge of grief or that you had to go through grief to get to the happy story to tell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I didn't really know how to put words to it, but hearing you talk about it like that, like I can't, I feel very similarly from my own experiences on the continent and there there is this really interesting um weight that feels like it lifts when you're there mm-hmm. um and to f- for you to directly feel it in your work like in the creativity of your work and to mm-hmm. say like here I get to work from this place that doesn't feel heavy and I don't even know what to do with that <laughs> like I it's a lot yeah that seems like so much it seems like and I mean I know we talked about some of this as it was happening like the questioning that might have been going on you know about what this meant for you um but how do you think now like kind of being in a space where you have been been able to create without that grief like how has it changed your creative process how has it changed the output of what you're doing or even change like what you're writing in your book yeah um a few things I had to push back um I had to ask for like more time to sit in it my editor is so great she was like yeah it was like let's let's work it out I was like I'm having a kid she was like sis she didn't say sis this is a white woman but she was like yes are you Miss Edmonds, that sounds great. You know, <laughs> she's great. She's cool. But yeah, I just, um, I think time played a really, you know, being on the continent, our relationship with time is also so different. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you speak to that a little bit? Like, uh, along with the grief piece, like how that felt for you, like that difference in time? Yeah. Uh, maybe on the practical level as well as on the like you oh, know the okay. crazy <laughs> like, yeah. how did it feel for you to make that <laughs> okay so on a practical level um yeah you know people like we always say like you know we're on cp time and you know where we got it from okay folks are getting there right. when they are good and ready yes like when are you, are you on your way they're like i'm coming i'm coming I'm coming <laughs> They're coming. They call you. They're like, I'm on my way. You're at the house. <laughs> I hear your kids. I see. Like you are nowhere nearby. You. Like you I haven't even started. <laughs> no, you're not coming. Or let's try tomorrow. Ooh, Ghana loves tomorrow. 
Ghana lives for tomorrow. Like, let's so, try again tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. So, uh, and I think for, you know, Americans or folks that are coming from the West are always like, ah, I'll dare you. You know, and, and listen, I'm not about that. I was like, excusez-moi, I need these things. Um, but it did once you're in like you don't want to have your blood pressure up all the time all the time so you have to roll with it and once you're in it there is this sense of like why can't it happen tomorrow some things listen some things it's disrespectful so I'm not saying like it's all okay but I I do think that it forced me to think about why maybe I was moving so fast in general why mm. I was trying to juggle all these projects before, mm. how good it felt to deliver things and make things happen and push, you know, instead of letting things unfold when according to like divine timing, mm-hmm. and really leaning into that. Um, so for me, I'm, I think now that I've come back, there is this mix, there's somewhere in between where you know, I don't think we need to delay, delay, especially when things are really important. But I also know that there are things that are at work outside of, you know, these timelines that we have. And I don't think that I was able to infuse that into my work as much. I would feel that way about like relationships and, you know, personal uh, uh, timelines, knowing that like, you know, that we are always going to be cared for, that like our ancestors are already kind of at work. And so if something's not coming through, I know I'll be fine. And I hadn't applied that to the way that I create and the way that work happens. That was like squarely placed in like, you know, America. Yeah. Whiteness and all that. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, that's a word, girl. Like, because I feel like a lot of us can do that. Like a lot of us can say we know God and the ancestors and the universe is working in every area except for the place where we get our livelihood. Come on. Like, and that's the place that somehow we think if we just write the right plan and, you know, stick to the right timeline, we control it. You know what I mean? And I mean, yeah, of course we control parts of it. Like you got to do your part and show up. Right. So that the, so that God and the ancestors can do what they trying to do. But I, I think that's so interesting that we can apply that theory to everything else. And it took some stillness to remind yourself it applies to everything. And so like, it is not a need to rush. I needed that word. I don't know if other people did. I need that word for myself. Uh, same I think I think I needed to be reminded of that because I was you know the the professional part of me you know also I'm a tourist so you know I love a spreadsheet I love things organized hey, you know my little Virgo okay. energy in there mm, I said deliverable good check what are the dates that's <laughs> right who's doing them you're not doing them please do them you know so I just um yeah I I felt I had to spend time and look at some of the shame I had around not being able to quote unquote produce the way that I was used to. Uh, I think on top of the fact that it's a pandemic and a lot of people were struggling with all kinds of things, I still being in a place where I was still held and cared for and asked how I was doing. And I don't know, I think it just helped me to not have to um let me think about how I want to say this it's almost like 
I just gave my permit myself permission to just be who I've always been called to be. You know, I, 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 um, it's hard to do that if I'm honest. I think I felt all this responsibility to do this for my family, for the history, for the city of LA. Like, you know, I'm, I'm holding all this history and it's my job to make sure it's available. And it's not, you know, I get to be uh, a vessel where some of it will come through. But as soon as I found out that I was, um, that, I, that we were gonna have a kid, I was like, oh, this is the piece that I didn't think I could process before, which is that this has to continue. And I hadn't been able to find the, 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 like, the next steps for this work. I held onto it so tight and, you know, I went to Ghana and Ghana's like tomorrow, tomorrow. And then I'm getting swept up in, you know, rivers of tomorrow. And I just was like, oh, like, it's because this this baby that's coming this she is tomorrow and she is going to be able to help like move this along and it doesn't have to be on me oh the pressure we put Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. and it's like release it it's like gave you space to release it absolutely and I, I think that I hope that what people hear from you right now is well at least what I heard from you was that because you had this space that felt like you were held, like you said, and cared for and asked about who you were, Mm -hmm. it allowed you to then not have to take on the pressure of producing. And so I wonder, what do you think or how do you think we create those types of spaces here that Mm -hmm. feel like you're held and you're cared for so that you can lay down the burden of production and grind and go? Like, what do you think that looks like here? This is such a great question I've been asking. I've been exploring this a little bit with, um, yeah, my my friend, my well, his family now, my husband's cousin, who connected us um, because you know both of us have, have have made several trips to Ghana in the past year, and um, I think you know me and my husband started a, a like we are doing like short-term rentals um, and like renting out places for, for, for black folks who want to come to Ghana and want to experience it, but maybe don't know where to start. <clears throat> I think having a business on the continent, having a business in another country, uh, especially a place where, where we were taken from, there is this huge like restoration that happens uh that I didn't expect you know I thought I would just be like balancing the the book <laughs> I mean I'm making myself sound like I was just like I'll go in there with my with my rules my balance sheet with my balance sheets and I'm like how much did we spend on toilet paper like, like <laughs> and it's like okay girl calm down but I I, I mentioned that because I think part of why places like this hurt so much, places like America, maybe black folks, African folks that are in like Western worlds, if we don't have a portal or an outlet somewhere else, um, then it's just like a pressure cooker. If we don't have something to release some of the steam is why we're dealing with like mental health stuff, all kinds of like health things in our bodies and, 
relationships that 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 are not you know full circle with support and and um I've been finding somewhere in the middle like I don't know that we need to do this mass exodus and like all do this back to Africa movement you know shout out to Marcus Garvey I don't know that it's like it needs to be that severe I'll say for me but what I have found is that if we know that there is something else even if we go for a month every a week every couple years that we know that there we have a touch point Mm -hmm. um and a place that's not asking us to prove that our humanity (laughs) uh, prove our Mm -hmm. humanity period I was like I was about to add to it but there's nothing to add just that we are having to show that like we still matter that don't hurt us like like you don't have to do any of that there and and listen the continent is not perfect there's all kinds of there's all kinds of challenges. That's for another podcast. So I, you know, right. I, you know, on the flip side of that, for folks who, who may feel the urge to go to the continent, I don't know that the option is for us to go and be like fixing a bunch of shit, you know, and being like, right, well, you know, like because because we we got some of that in us too. Yeah, we got it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we, we got to make sure that we're coming in there with some respect and. Um, making sure we're coming in there with like some humility, even though I know we come in with a lot of pain and confusion. Um, and so we might also be met with folks who may not know what happened to us, really know our stories. So there's a lot of like um, bridge work, I think that needs to happen. Um, I think that when we know that we have a place outside of here, then we have different expectations for this country, different expectations for mm-hmm. what we can, uh, we can ask of our government here, ask of each other. I think we have to expand our network that because, I'll speak for this country, I think because Black folks were so like tied into the actual infrastructure of this country that we think we don't get to exist anywhere else and that's not true so yeah 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 I think that's huge you know like as as we start figuring out how to create these um free spaces or I know um Terry um from Intelligent Mischief talks about you know liberated zones a lot Mm -hmm. and like as we create space for some of those here like hearing you say that also creating space in in on the continent that we know we can go to yeah. to to not I don't even want to call it escape even though I guess that's what it is but I don't even want to call it escape a but a recharge yeah a, 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 you know and sometimes a maybe a rebirth Come on, you know for some people you know like a Come reset on. you know um and the Caribbean too like yeah of the diaspora like I don't know that it has to just be on the continent I think if we're looking at parts of the Caribbean, parts of like Black South America, like I think that there, it, it, I think we have to extend our network because we are struggling uh, just here. Yeah. And only focusing our efforts here. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, um, I think that leads me to my last question for you then. Um, okay. And that is, um, what do you want your descendants to say about you? What's the legacy you want to leave or the blueprint you want to leave for them? Mm. 
I want it to feel simple. You know, I want, I want them to know that, you know, that we just love them. That's it. I know, I know we're working hard to set up pathways so it's easier for them to navigate, but I think at the core of it, just want them to know that, that we love them. We only want the best for them. Before I used to feel so like, oh, I need to get this together and that. This has been really helpful because I'm like, wow, these, I had so many lists in my life. <laughs> right, right. All the check boxes, oh, right? I had check boxes. I just want them to know that somebody cared about them and that that's endless. And even when I'm not here, I'll still check on them and send them mm-hmm. my love and that's it. Like, I think. I think we can, as humans, especially as Black folks, we can accomplish anything. I, but we also need someone in our corner that's like, you got this. Because we don't get a lot of that here. So I want, I want them to feel like they could do anything. Yeah, boundless, boundless mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I like that. Liber- I know I'm going back to liberation zones. I think... I think it'd be cool to have that in the Caribbean, to have that the continent, to have that here, yeah. parts of the South, yeah. near nature. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that I'm seeing, like a, a a web of places where we get to rebirth, like you said. I hope that my descendants get to help build that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like leave a, able to leave a little bit of something for them so that they can expand on it and it mm-hmm. becomes... Mm-hmm. and people know where to go mm-hmm. and I you know like I think like even making this lab that that that's part of what I want to create too is like a safer space mm-hmm. for like a place to lay your burden down for a little bit mm-hmm. but I think there is still some value in that there's still only so much of that burden you can lay down on this soil yeah and yeah. that there has to be some some way to to go and recharge and rebirth in a place that feels like it was made for and by you mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I think you know I think there is that like we didn't touch about this too much but there is I think the longer you stay on the continent the easier it is to be able to kind of reconcile with some of it but you know when you come back you know, folks already see you as someone that's not them, you know, and you may be called white and like the, our process of white is like, has very different, you know, uh, connotations. So I think once you get through some of the like, that being black is not really like, that only exists in America. <laughs> and I right. think folks like travel and live in other places know that, but I think once we once we're able to process a lot of that, I think we can do a lot of what we can get a lot done. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. So safe spaces, brave spaces, held spaces, spaces of care, communities that let us like be ourselves and lay the burden down so we can create from a place of love and joy and freedom and not grief. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the dream. Oh, let me one more thing. I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah, one more. Go ahead, and girl. I did see grief on the continent. I think it's almost like I I don't want to like idealize that like that um 
that the goal is to not feel that at all. It's almost as if there is so much remembering that I found when I was in Ghana. There's like posters everywhere of, you know, family members that have passed on and they like keep the stickers on their car till it rains and it's like, it's there for years. You see, like, like they're there and there's funerals every Saturday and like, you know, there's the parties on Sunday, like there's, or Friday, the parties are on Saturdays. Like there's just so much around around loss but it has a place and it's public and it's communal and so it doesn't feel like it's eaten at you the way it maybe mm, yeah it was so low um so, and that probably that's like especially poignant right now when people are because of this pandemic not able to possibly be in community mm-hmm. and it makes me wonder like not just how are the ways that we can grieve in a communal way that feels like, yes, I feel the grief, but I feel the the life here too, right? The joy or the, the future um, and an honoring of who this person was in our lives. But, Absolutely. you know, um, I, I, I think that I want, well, I wonder if it felt different, if the grief felt different because there was such a balance of the other side of it. And so then the grief could be held differently because. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I'm not from, I mean, like, because like, I still had to respect that. Like I'm a visitor in this, in this community, in this culture. And so the way that I would process a funeral is obviously going to be really different for folks that are born and raised there. But um, yeah, I, uh, my husband brought me to like three funerals. I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> so they do these parties after where everybody wears white and everybody's like drinking and dancing. And I was like, take me to the to the party. To so the party, the after party. Don't have me in these churches breaking down. Well, okay, that's party. That's where right. That's where I want to be. Okay, I don't need to be in the grave site. I can't fit it in, and the grandma's crying. I don't need. Like, it. I don't want all of that. I don't need all that. So. uh but yeah, there was like, um, I just felt this sense of like, there's this, there's, there's, you know, and you know this, when you lose someone really close, there's this like quiet grief that stays with you for a long time, you know, way after when folks stop checking on you and sending you stuff. Yeah. And that exists, I think, around the world. Like, that's not, that's not, that's human. But I wonder if like the send off um, helps, you know, I, 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 there is like the time to be falling apart and like, you know, falling over the, the, um, uh, the casket, which is like, they do that all over black folks, families here. Like, I was like, oh, we, (laughs) yep. Um, And there's women that go to funerals and that's their job to like help people get it out you know um and uh, how beautiful is that like how beautiful is it your job to help you process this to help you express this um and yeah I just uh, it helped me kind of settle some of the grief I think that was like locked up somewhere in my rib cage around you know some really big losses I experienced in the last couple of years and just to see how you also have to wear certain clothes certain colors on certain days it's like there's so much 
beauty around and, and ritual. I think without that ritual, it can feel so oh, just like you just left for yourself, you know? Yeah, so, back to that communal part, that feeling of I, even in my grief, I feel the love. I feel yes, the, the held and the cared for. And the, yeah. yeah. Like, and then there are already people preparing for like, you know, your family and your kids. And, you know, I also was surprised like how, how many families hosted it for the people who were lost. Like I always feel like the folks here, when you're the person that's grieving, you're supposed to be taken care of, but they're out there getting everybody a plate and handing people beer. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> said, no. and there is this like, that's the final act of service almost that final gift to that departed one. And I just, it just, it rocked me. Yeah. It rocked me. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, well, I probably have said this to you before, but I am eternally grateful for whatever the ancestors were doing to make sure that we met each other in this last year, because I feel like I've known you forever, so I don't even know. But watching you, watching you this last year, like, has been, like, a joy to just, I mean, you already were this person who I looked at as being very aligned in what you knew your purpose to be and things of that nature, but... I feel like the way you've let yourself feel this year, the way you've let yourself change your mind, um, the way you've let yourself um, find the new way that felt right to continue the memories and the legacy that your family started has been impactful to me to see, and, you know, beautiful to watch. And so I hope that folks, um, what folks get from your story, I hope folks get um you know, just this idea of being able to create in a, from a space of care and love and finding whatever group, people, space will give you that so that while you're in the, on the journey to that freedom, to that freer space and having to, you know, pick up whatever you got to pick up along the way to take with you, that you have this community that allows you to create from that space. And so I've just been glad to watch you and be a part of your community. You know, thank take you. care. Yeah. Thank oh, you for doing this. this so good. <laughs> oh. oh, I love it. <laughs>